0: I'm trying to decide who I'd rather work for. (laughs) The mob would be more interesting, but
1: probably a little bit more scary. This show is sponsored by the Pragmatic Studio. The Pragmatic Studio has been teaching iOS development since November of 2008. They have a four-day hands-on course where you learn all the tools, APIs, and techniques to build iOS apps with confidence and understand how all the pieces fit together. They have two courses coming up. The first one's in July from the 22nd to the 25th in Reston, Virginia, and you can get early registration up through June 21st. You can also sign up for their August course, and that's August 26th through the 29th in Denver, Colorado, and you can get early registration through July 26th. If you want a private course for teams of five developers or more, you can also sign up on their website at pragmaticstudio.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode eight of iFreaks. This week on our panel, we have Pete Hodgson.
0: Hello, I'm so impressed that Charles Maxwood knew which episode we were on without any thinking. Well
1: done. I looked it up beforehand. George <laughs> Schmidt. Hello from Salt Lake.
2: Ben Sherman. Hello from hot and humid Houston.
1: I'm Charles Max Wood from DevChat.TV, and we have a special guest today, and that's Ben. Is it Lockman?
2: Yes, it is.
3: And hello from Athens, Ohio, which is also hot and humid. Probably awesome. not as hot as uh, Houston.
1: So, you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Um, yeah,
3: I um, I've been around the Mac and iOS dev world for um, uh, about ten or twelve years at this point. Actually, I guess that would be before the the iOS dev world really was around, and I write software for a couple companies uh, of my own. One is Acacia Tree Software, and the other is newer than I started with a a business partner in Cleveland, Ohio, named Bob Cantoni, and it's called a Nice Mohawk. So yeah, we write some iOS software, some Mac software, and we do contract work uh, as well.
1: Awesome. I'm a little curious, before we get into uh, what we're going to talk about, how much iOS and Mac stuff do you write as products that you sell versus client stuff that you do for other people
3: uh, we've done a fairly good job for a I mean I feel like for a, a two-man shop of keeping things 50-50 so we have a Mac app uh, called SousChef. chef it's a recipe management
2: and cooking assistant oh, I and love that app we have, I had, I had uh, no idea you built that oh uh, yeah that's that's, that's that's. I picked us. it up in a, uh, a Mac heist a couple of years ago when I first came on the Mac and that's cool I like it a lot yeah
3: yeah, I do too. I um, it also has an iOS version um, that's that's universal, um, and then we have a list app that is called Ida, and that's published as Nice Mohawk. And then we usually have one or two contracts going, usually not more than that. So that's you know, it's, I would say it ends up being it ebbs and flows, but it it's often fifty fifty between between
1: the two. Nice. All right, so this week we're going to be talking about prototypes, prototyping, which is kind of the, I guess the the basic layout. Wireframing is another term I've heard for for it. There's a lot to talk about there.
3: Yeah, there there there. Uh, prototyping as a you know as a general topic kind of has a lot of sub sub genres, I, I guess I would like to call them. And wireframing is one of them, you know. And then mocking up is another one that kind of more. Graphics-oriented people are, you know, really making things um, picture perfect, and you know, as they're going to look in the in, in the final app. But yeah, there's 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 a there's a lot of um, of stuff to talk about in the within the topic as a whole.
0: So in the um, in the web world, I think it's pretty common for people when they're doing mockups to be using Photoshop. Is that also the kind of the weapon of choice in in your experience in the uh, in the Mac and iOS world, or are there other more, kind of more specialist tools that that do a better job?
3: Yeah, there are definitely um, a lot of tools, um, particularly on iOS. I feel like that that do some really nice. They just they help you out a lot um, and let you reduce the amount of just tweaking Photoshop style layers that you would, you know, you would do if you were only in Photoshop. I I think. I mean there' there're a, there's a ton because people every, everybody has their own their own um, way of going at prototyping. Um, a lot of people start with pen and paper, I think just because it's so tactile, which is actually kind of interesting to me because what we end up creating it's not actually physically tactile right you don't you, you never you're, you're never touching an app for real you're just trying to kind of evoke some sort of information.
0: It's still. I mean, I don't know. I, I still think, from my experience, people tend to get more, I don't know, attached to to uh, iPhone apps than definitely than to websites. Like, if you show a website to a client, they some they sometimes they're really inv- engaged in it. They'll want to play around with it. But almost every time you show an app to a client, they want to grab it out of your hand and play with it. Right? It is yeah, a very definitely. Tack- it's a very kind of tactile thing in a way. Uh-huh.
1: Well, I think I think some of that is just that the the app itself is something you can take with you. I mean, if you have a device that'll run it, you carry it around in your pocket. Yeah,
3: I think it's also the touch interface. I think touch inter- interfaces definitely because even if you if you look at web interf- um like web apps that have been really tailored for touch devices, I'm thinking like uh something like forecast.io, you get some of that same instantaneous feedback and Almost, you know, almost a tactile feel to to their you know little web. What what is you know a web app in a very similar way that you would to a well designed iOS
1: app. Uh huh. I, I I do have one question about prototyping that I, I've been thinking about for a while, and that is is that we have interface builder or storyboards or whatever you want to call them, and in a lot of cases you can drag the elements there and kind of you know say, if you tap this, then load this other next screen. Is is there a reason why you wouldn't want to just do that for your app? You can.
3: I don't feel like Interface Builder has ever really been moved from a programmer's tool to a designer's tool. And I don't necessarily mean that as a, you have to be a designer to prototype something, um, because I would say that I very much sit on the line I mean, my, my background is, is completely in computer science. Um, that's what I went to school for. But at this point, I do a lot of, um, kind of the interaction design stuff as well for our projects. So I would, I would say I kind of blur the line between developer and designer a little bit, as do many. I think some people term them as like renaissance developers or, um, you know, indie developers is what I would call them. Mm-hmm. So I feel like. Uh, Interface Builder has always still really been a developer-only tool. I, I don't know anyone who lets des- like a, a pure designer use Interface Builder. It just seems really too much and too heavy-handed. And then you don't. There are some things that are just too hard to do. Um, you know, like try try skinning a, a toolbar button the way you want. You know, like with a custom graphic. It just does, isn't easy in Interface Builder.
2: Um, yeah, custom, custom yeah. anything is hard in Interface Builder, right? <laughs> Unless you're right. doing kind of stock UI look and feel just to sort of arrange your thoughts into like this is the flow of screens I'm gonna have, but if you're not doing standard widgets, then uh interface builder doesn't really help you a lot.
1: Yeah, that that's what kind I was kind of driving at, is if you know if you're just dealing with buttons and menus and you know, things that are well understood that are already in Interface Builder, I've used it to kind of organize things even if it's not fully functional, just to say, okay, well, you kind of flow through it this way and you tap these things this way. But yeah, if there's anything that's non-conventional, then I I guess you are kind of off on your own doing something else. Yeah, I think
3: you you quickly revert to kind of um, just using a screenshot from Photoshop if you try to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every time I've used Interface Builder, as soon as I've hit anything custom or anything that didn't quite work, you know, I end up just importing a full screen shot from a Photoshop mockup or something like that. You know, and that seems there are a lot of tools that let you do that type of thing without having to know all the intricacies of the tools of uh, you know the toolbars and in and, um, interface builder and the unified um, UI for Xcode and you know like it's just like there's there are more simple tools for doing the exact same thing at that point yeah
1: so one other question I have for everybody on the show is I think we've all done mock-ups of various types. you know what what tools have you guys used?
2: I typically carry around like a little notebook uh, like a mole scan or something, and I try to draw in there. Uh, unfortunately, I really suck at like drawing with an actual pencil so I, I feel like I should get better at that over time, but I don't know, it's just like jotting down. Uh, some overall flow over time. It doesn't look good, unfortunately, uh, but it helps me clarify my thoughts. Uh, so I do that sometimes.
3: Mm-hmm. One of my favorite tricks, as far as that goes, is to take just take your iPhone and draw uh, around it, um, <laughs> so that it gives you a you know a, a place to draw in, and then you can even use the the flat edge, you know, not the edge with the volume buttons and mute uh, switch, to draw like straight lines. Oh, that's so, a great idea,
2: because I always have that with me <laughs> right yeah you always
3: have like yeah, if you're gonna be doing that you always have it with you so yeah that's that's what i've uh, I've come to over the years is when i because I do really love you know sketching on paper, but uh, getting the right proportions so that you're not putting way too much on a single screen or not enough stuff is you know hard to hard to do
1: yeah I've used uh balsamic mock-ups and I've also used there's one called Mockingbird. I'll put links to those in the show notes. Um, but the Mockingbird one is one that will actually—it'll work for you in your. It's a web browser, but it gives you the templates for mobile apps, so you can you can lay it out and you can share it because it's it's on the web.
3: Yeah, I also like with Mockingbird that it gives you um, a historical. Like as you make changes, you can you can kind of do a, a tree of different designs. Like you have multiple versions of the same same mockup.
2: Yeah, there are a lot of
1: nice features to it.
2: Yeah, I've used Balsamic as well. It, it's helpful when we're clarifying ideas with clients and I need to like paste in uh, something into like a PDF or something uh, so that we can send to clients. Um, and it's pretty customizable. Like the, uh, it's got that like handwritten feel to it, which can sometimes convey that this is a rough idea. Like it's not going to look like this, but this is in general like the layout of the data, perhaps. And then you can like double click on any of these elements to Change the textual description behind it, and it will like re-render. So, like a table of items with like arrows or check marks or whatever, you can do that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think that's the
0: great, great thing about things like Balsamic is they very clearly are not the final product. That's, I've, I think like one of the risks with uh, doing like super hi-fi prototypes is you give it to a client and they're like, "Awesome, we're done." <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, you'll have this deployed tomorrow, right? Yeah, exactly. Or it is already deployed. Look, I'm using it right
0: now. What are you talking about?
1: Yeah, another one that I've seen is uh, there are templates for PowerPoint or Keynote. And, and yeah, I, I've
0: done that in the past. I've not personally done that, but I've I've been on a team where where they did a lot of mockups using using Keynote and then put the you know put it actually on an iPad in presentation mode, so you can kind of tap through things, and it's kind of that. Um, that kind of fake interactive thing where it's just a sequence of things, but you tap at the right place and it gives it an idea for how the, how the information architecture works.
2: Yeah, Another one that I've uh, tried to use in the past uh, is the OmniGraphle stencils. Uh, so you can just add a new stencil that has a bunch of iPhone-related elements in it. My only issue with these is they, the ones that are predefined look really good and polished, uh, and then anything that you do outside of that looks really kind of drab and uh, empty. And so it's kind of an inconsistent style of prototype. And I kind of prefer like just the pencil thin lines, no color or minimal color, maybe just grayscale, just something to convey the idea, but not commit to any colors or, or have like a very polished toolbar with buttons and then really ugly hand drawn buttons underneath it. I guess it kind of, it really gets to what the
0: purpose of the thing of the prototype you're building is if it's like fleshing out like the information architecture and stuff like that, then you kind of don't want to focus. You don't want to draw attention to what color the gradient is and kind of go down that rat hole when you're talking to a, to a client or talking to a a user or whatever. But if you're trying to get an idea for what the, the kind of the the feel of the app, the look and feel is going to be, then you kind of want to get it super hi fi, but you don't necessarily want it to be interactive, I guess. I know, that's my theory, anyway. There's kind of like two two different kinds of, of prototype.
3: Oh, definitely, yeah. That's where I would say like those are the two parts of of prototyping. That that one would be wireframing. In my mind, this is how I I talk about it at least, right? Wireframing is that that first like information architecture flow of the app. Get everything organized and make sure it works. The in you know as far as getting you from where point A to point B that the client or the developer wants. And then mock up would be that, you know, make sure the gradients are right, make sure your buttons look right. We're defining brand, we're defining how it, like the app actually is going to come off as a um, you know, as a look and feel.
0: There was this online, or there was like a web-based tool that let you do I uh, you could build like the an a prototype in a web browser and then like open it up in Safari on your phone, but I can't remember the name of the tool. I always wanted to try it out. It seemed like a really cool idea.
3: Um, are you uh, Duncan Wilcox has a has an a Mac app that produces web apps. Is that is that the kind of thing you're talking about?
0: It's maybe it's actually, uh, actually
3: just called prototypes.
0: Hmm. Might be that one. Let me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna Google around and see if I can find it.
1: So, what kinds of things make a good prototype? I think like the the basic goal of,
3: of prototyping
1: beyond maybe
3: you know like. Um, impressing a client is is really to test something. And so I think that's the most important thing you can do with prototyping. So um, if you are looking at does this flow of screens, does it work, to do, do users when I give them this prototype, do they know what to do with the app? I think that's one of the the biggest benefits you can you can really gain from putting time into the prototyping stage. Um, that I think a lot of people only use it as a maybe a sales tool when doing client work, and I, I think that it's really useful that way. But that the largest benefit and really you know nice results um, for the quality of of your future product can come from that the the testing side of things, and you know to verify that this thing actually works the way you want it to in the way because there's always the problem of the like the creator syndrome where you know exactly everything about the app that you created and it's really easy for you to use because you know everything about it. And you know how to change it when it doesn't work right as well, for that matter. But seeing whether other people if it, whether it's you know penetrable for for a regular user is is really useful before you have, you know, six months of your life into it.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's a lot cheaper to spend a couple of hours throwing together a, a prototype of the feature or features that you care about than it is to pay a developer or to spend your own time sitting down and, and actually coding it out because that that can take days or weeks as opposed to hours. And then you can work on the things that are really important because you can show it to people and they can tell you.
3: Yeah. And I think like there's also, it's a little bit of a insurance policy. Sometimes uh, we've had projects where we haven't done the prototyping step. We, we don't do this anymore, but in the past and you know, like at some point in the project, Either we or the client get a little bit disillusioned, and there has to, you know, either be like, "Hey, we're not going to finish this project," or we're, you know, something has to change about it because we didn't really outline well enough what what the app was actually going to be. You know, we had the maybe our our legal terms or whatever out of the way, but there, were, you know, we didn't have a agreement in our mind of what we were actually making.
2: Um, that a prototype really would have,
3: you know, solved that problem.
2: So it's a risk-reducing effort. Definitely.
1: Mm-hmm. So how do you build a good prototype? Do you just kind of put it together how you think it's going to work? Or are, are there specific tips for putting together a good workflow in a prototype? So
3: I think there there, there are a couple things that I, that I would say. The first one is is that you, sh- you should make sure you're, you're making a prototype and not a concept. Concepts are, are generally kind of things that you, you know, like you kind of think up that's an idea that's, you know, like will solve the world's problems, but isn't maybe realistic to build. Um, mm-hmm. So make sure you're, you're dealing with actually, you know, solvable problems first of all. And then I, I really do recommend starting with pen and paper and, and sketching things out. I think maybe the speed of, of it is a real good match for the human kind of creative process. And Particularly on on mobile devices, really thinking about what is appropriate to go together on a screen. It's even more of an issue on iPad than on on iPhone, actually, because you'll see apps sometimes that are, you know, that have two pieces of information that are completely unrelated and don't make sense together on the same screen just because they had a tablet-sized screen and, you know, decided to put two views on it. So when prototyping, that's, that's the time you can most easily think about, you know, what should go on the screen at any given point in time, um, because it's nicely broken up too. usually during, during prototyping.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So, so the next question I have is what types of issues do your prototypes usually help you identify?
3: I would say discoverability of features is a huge one and, and maybe even the visibility of features. So you know, if I give a prototype to a client or a user and they can't find one of our you know top three headlining features in the app, something's wrong, and it's it's my uh, my problem to f- to figure out how to fix that and make it make it easier and more more visible to the user or client.
0: So I guess this isn't necessarily about prototyping, but just the design process in general. But what's the the thought process of going through kind of from identifying there's an issue to Uh, To like solving that issue, is it just like trying loads of different things and seeing what works, or what's the what's what's good techniques for that?
3: I mean, I think that's a that's a huge question. (laughs) Um, Yeah, right. Does I I mean, does anyone else have have uh, answers for that? How do they do that? Because I I would love to hear.
0: (laughs) That's why I'm asking because I'm like the I'm I'm very very I'm definitely not a, a front end UI designery kind of guy and I sometimes I, I like it's a bit of a black box to me what comes out of uh, um, like a, a designer's head and I kind of always wonder like
2: how the, how did they figure out you know what's the thought process of, of saying okay well this doesn't work so how do we make it work you know one thing that I have from personal experience I've done so many projects that involve some sort of design by committee to know that that never works I really feel like you have to have somebody strong-willed Who's going to like lead the charge on certain things? And it's healthy to challenge that. Like, hey, would it be, what do you think about putting this thing over here? And then we could tuck this under settings or whatever. And then you talk through those and having a, a facility to try it out quickly. So you don't have to spend like a day or two in development to make a change like this, but you could just kind of whip up a different version of that prototype and have people validate it. Ultimately, though, I think there just needs to be somebody who knows what they're doing in charge of this or has like a strong opinion one way or another because if you just kind of give it to everybody in the office and say what do you guys all think and then you're going to get 10 different opinions and if you treat all of those equally i think it it leads to a mediocre product i
0: guess the only trick that i have which is based on me being incompetent at doing this myself is just coming up with random ideas and putting them in front of and doing like um kind of like hallway hallway usability testing or guerrilla usability testing where we'll just take two ideas or take five ideas and go to a Starbucks or go and grab someone who's on a different project and ask them what they think. And a lot of times that perspective from someone who's totally you know, not been arguing about it for the last two days can, can sometimes really help.
2: I, on my first iOS app, I was new to Macs, new to iOS, and uh, I released an app with no outside usability testing whatsoever. And uh, I, I was a user of the app, so I knew what I wanted. Um, and it ended up okay but when I did finally get somebody to sit down and to do some usability testing on my app uh, so I was like being facilitated by this uh, conference presenter and I kept wanting to jump in and be like well let's just tap this button here and you know he, he was like putting his hand up and he's like no 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 just let him figure it out and this guy had just total different mental model of what the application was even doing for him and I think that you know if I had laid things out a little bit differently if I had done some usability testing a little bit earlier and maybe I could have corrected those things before they were baked into the, the app. And then, of course, after I learned that, I was just kind of like, well, I'm not going to change it now. You know, that's that'd <laughs> be a lot of work because I've already gone so far down this path.
3: Yeah, I think when you, do, when you get a prototype in front of people, uh, a user, and we'll just watch them, uh, there, there is some amount of kind of a, a little bit of a light bulb you know, that goes on which is why it's it's really nice you know as you said to do it early on instead of once you've already put a bunch of time into into making the app the way the user isn't understanding it so yeah I think there is that kind of just watch users and you see how people use apps I mean I all the time watch my wife use use apps on her phone and I'm like, oh but there's this other way you can do that which you know like Maybe is maybe is a more efficient way, but it's it's the reality is is that, that if it isn't designed in a in an evident and dead simple way, people aren't going to use it that way. Um, so just watching people is is great.
1: So one thing that I want to ask related to what Ben was saying is, let's say that you've started building an app, and then your client you know has a look at it and he's like, well this this isn't exactly what I wanted do you take screenshots of what you already have and then kind of do the wireframing and stuff on the other screens that that you want there? Or do you mock up what you already have? Or how do you usually approach that to kind of clarify what the vision is at that point?
3: Uh, This is assuming you haven't done prototyping already. Right. Correct?
1: So you haven't done prototyping. Your client looks at your app and says, this isn't exactly what I was looking for. Do you just mock up what you have and then let him modify it? Or do you... Yeah,
3: yeah. I think that's a that's a hard place to be in. It might be it might be a good idea to take a step back and do do a prototyping run because otherwise somebody's going to feel like maybe maybe you just have to start all the way over. And when you tell any client that, "Hey, we're going to have to start over again," or they feel that they're going to have to, regardless of whether you know that's true or not, that can be a place where that project just dies. At that, you know. So I think it's probably worth it to, you know, take the, you know, four hours or ten hours that it takes to make a really nice prototype of where you see the project going. And then that's at least something you can talk about. Um, that says, this isn't the actual thing. This is, you know, this is, this is where we're, we're envisioning it going. And let's talk about if that, you know, fits with where you envision it going. I, I don't generally send, like, I don't give a, a prototype to a client and say, "Hey, why don't you change this and make it ha- make a prototype how you want it?" Because they don't have the experience and kind of thought process of how you know how how apps uh, necessarily work um, available to do that, but they can respond to prototypes really easily. Generally, yeah, that makes
1: sense. It's it's funny. I've seen this with a lot of clients too, where they don't really know what they want until it's right in front of their nose. So they'll tell you what they want, but until they actually see a prototype or see a working model of some kind, they, they really can't give you feedback on what it is exactly that they want. Well, sometimes yeah. it's
0: the other way around, right? They, they tell you exactly what they want, and then you build it that way, and they're like, wow, this doesn't make any sense at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is, so I, I like that idea of the prototype kind of being that the start of a conversation about, you know, something concrete that you can hang a conversation around rather than a thing in and of itself.
3: Yeah, I think it is. It is a problem. Um, someone mentioned it earlier to, you know, where the the client thinks that it's done when you give them a prototype. And I, I, I like the product that I've been I've been really excited about recently is Briefs Two, and it just it was just released a couple of weeks ago um, by the people at Martian Craft. And it's, it's a f- really fabulous prototyping tool. It really gives you a lot of uh, flexibility and power to do a lot of custom things. And on top of that, it also has a pretty extensive mockup style template that lets you do most everything um, that you would want to do, but not, not make it look like a, a finished app, really make it look like it's, it's a blue kind of playful blueprint style template. And it's, it's it's really,
1: really nice. Yep. So looking at this, it, it seems like it's really designed to uh, help you lay out your application like we've been talking about. Do any of these tools actually then export kind of a... Because I keep going back to Interface Builder because I, I, I think it's kind of neat. Do any of these export, you know, nibs and whatever so that you can actually just you know load it into your application and and have a general layout like this or do you have to go back and, and build it all by hand when you're done? Everything
3: that I've used is it's a completely separate process um, you know maybe you can use assets and it is really nice to have a uh, like briefs for instance gives you a top down view of all the different screens because in briefs the, the the general two concepts are screens which are you know that are linked together. And they are actors, which are elements on other screens that can move around, you know, they can change how they look, they can play sounds, they can link to different to another screen, but you know, they don't have any real, they don't have really any any counterpart on the on the actual Objective-C side of things. Um, screens, yeah, maybe it's a, a view controller, but It's it's not even quite that well defined because view controllers can take a lot of different forms, um, be they popovers or split views or you know like Apple's very much blurred the lines between uh, what you know one view controller per screen, which is what it was back in the iOS three days.
2: I know that was such great times, wasn't it?
3: It was (laughs) so so simple, everything was so easy.
2: You didn't have to think about all these different screens on one window. Man. Those were simpler days you know i I kind of uh liken this whole process to like doing code spikes, so like when we're reaching uh we're 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 seeing some work come ahead up in our backlog that is uh somewhat complicated or or we're not really sure how big it is uh, we need to estimate it, so we'll schedule a spike and then the goal of the spike is just to you know research the things that we need to do we're gonna write some code, do a simple could just be a a prototype app or it could be you know just a branch in our project and then the end result is the knowledge that we have after we're done and then we just throw that code away and rewrite it and a lot of people don't want to throw that code away because it's work that they've done but the, <laughs> the real value is the mental state you get after doing that
3: yeah it's to, it's totally the same with prototyping it's the it's the knowledge that you gain the the testing that you get to you know validate that this is this is usable by a by an actual person or acceptable by an actual client, as opposed to just a conversation that we've had about a really cool idea.
0: I kind of like that analogy, actually. I mean, because yeah, we definitely do that with, with spikes as well. And so, did, did, I guess if, if with spikes, it's uh, there's definitely a one of the kind of the rules. I guess is that you have to throw the code away afterwards, so that, that that kind of enforces the fact that you're kind of just experimenting and proving out a concept. Do you think that's a benefit that most of these prototy- prototyping tools? Don't like kind of let you kind of upgrade them into a full app. Or do you if there was if like briefs had like like a little export button that generated a storyboard with all of the screens on? Do you think that would be beneficial, or would it be bad because people would end up kind of building crappy code on top of a prototype?
3: I yeah, I mean, I I would I would never want to go that route just because there are separate thought processes for designing the architecture of an app versus prototyping yeah. an app. So why would I want what I had prototyped to be just assumed for my basic architecture design for that that same app. It very well may be that I don't want my code, you know, kind of a, a skeleton created for me. I I'd really prefer to to build it myself and figure out what the what the appropriate tools and architecture are to use for this app that we're making. And just use it as a I mean it's it there it's a great document to refer to. You know, it makes I feel like it improves your, your efficiency tons when actually writing particularly you know your your user interface code because you know where everything's going, you know what everything's supposed to do. you can just think about you know how to actually implement it as opposed to trying to think about implementation and design at the same time, which is you know really switching back and forth between right and left brain i feel like which is at least for me is is really hard to do on the fly.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Maybe that's part of the reason why I'm so bad at design is I always get distracted while I'm building the design, like doing a bunch of programming when I should just be thinking of ideas rather than thinking of how much time it's going to be to implement the idea.
1: So I have another question, and that is since you're building apps for other people, do you actually have something in your contract or whatever that says that you'll prototype it and then build it, or do you just explain to your clients that that's how you do things? And if they have some objection, how do you handle that?
3: Uh, we haven't run across a client yet that isn't, isn't okay with spending, because usually prototyping isn't, doesn't take a huge amount of time, um, at least for the initial prototype. So I haven't, we haven't had a client yet that have said, have said, you know, this isn't, it's not acceptable to prototype our app. There, you know, usually it's, it's a, so, I mean, even like recently, uh, in, in the fall, I we didn't end up taking this contract, but I, I had somebody come to me with a prototype. They had actually done a prototype in an app called, um, App Cooker, it's an iPad prototyping app. And they came to me with, with a with a prototype and said, Hey, can you build this? Which was amazing. Like, that was the first time that had ever happened because then you could just, you could, you know, play with it and see what, exactly what they wanted. Um, now, you know, Part of my hesitancy in, in in that job was, you know, like do you wanna take a job where someone's that you know, like you you have to really be sold on their idea and what they what they want because they've they've really figured it out and they're just hiring a programmer at that point.
1: Yeah. I, I just I think it's interesting. I, I haven't really done this with my clients and so I'm I'm interested to see what the options are. And maybe you could come on the freelancer show and talk about that, talk about prototyping for clients and stuff.
3: Yeah, I I would take a look at at Briefs. Briefs is I don't see us really outside of pen and paper. I don't see us using many other tools for for prototyping going forward. I was part of the beta testing team, and it was you know like so I've been using it for a little while, and I really I really like it. It also it does some really nifty things. Like it has a so it has a, a you know a sidekick iOS app, and you can run it um run your your prototypes on device over the air you know there's no there's really like there's it's it's a, and then there's a simulator too so it very much mirrors xcode and how it you just you know like hey you select your the device that you want to to run this this brief on and you launch briefs briefcase on the on the device and then it you know it just works and it's very like just easy to use and you can stop and start in the middle of things, kind of you know, like similar to breakpoints, and I really, really like using it so far at least. Nice.
0: That sounds super
1: powerful. Yep. All right. Well, are, are there any aspects of prototyping that we haven't talked about? The one one question
0: I want to ask just for other people: I have this crazy idea, or well, not crazy idea, I guess, but I have this fancy of uh, building prototypes in HTML and then seeing how they work and then upgrading them. But has anyone else had any experience doing that? Because I've never actually done it kind of in anger. I've, I've always thought that it would be a cool idea, but I've never actually done it in anger.
1: So doing from HTML to uh, an app?
0: Yeah, like I guess this would be more for kind of for the for prototyping, the, the wireframing kind of side of it, of, of figuring out the usability. Because maybe it's because I'm also a web guy, but I, I feel like I can... I can bang out something simple really quickly in HTML and then um and get kind of it's it's easy to to show to clients because it's just a web page and you can use I guess you could use web technologies to to do the UI but now that I'm saying it I'm thinking that like something like briefs probably is going to be even more efficient than or even quicker to to do that kind of stuff than than web technologies maybe
3: I th- I think that's my that's been my experience getting a web Like, uh, you know, a hand-coded web uh, prototype, you can do it. It's not, there's nothing, you know, there are uh, plenty of tools out there um, to to make it easier. You know, just as far as the tools that people would use to write any native-feeling web app, right? Those are the same things you'd use for a prototype of a native app because that's basically what you're trying to do. But our experience has been that that always, that's the making it feel exactly right is harder than doing it in a tool that kind of does some of that for you, and I think that's also that's 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 the last big benefit of, of briefs is, and I keep talking about it, but I'm I'm pretty sold on it. I guess is that it does feel very it feels very native, which is I think is a nice as a as if we're talking about sales tools is is a really nice sales tool. You know, hey, this is this is how it's going to feel.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
3: Um, so uh, you asked about. Things we haven't talked about. One thing that's kind of interesting to me that has only been you know really possible like in the past couple of years now is that you now that we have iPads and um, some really really fabulous drawing apps for iPads, um, there's the possibility that we can kind of move towards doing the what traditionally has always been done with pen and paper. Onto the devices that will be using themselves, and I think that that has a really interesting. It it, it just it's a it's an interesting possibility, you know. Like, is there any benefit from from doing your very your initial design steps on the the very device that you're going to be you know targeting at the end? And so, uh, yeah, we've been we've been playing around with that with um, a couple different apps, um, mostly like Paper and uh sketchbook pro are the two that we use the most.
2: I forgot about that. I've been using the paper app for kind of the same thing I was talking about before What they use the moleskin for um and it's fun. I like the uh the style of pictures you can draw with that.
3: Yeah, it's 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 pretty fluid and like I I really like it. But we're just still kind of uh we've done a couple bits and pieces of of prototyping or concepting, but we haven't used it for a full, like, initial sketches for an app yet. So maybe in the future.
1: Nice. Sounds good. So one other thing that I want to ask that just kind of came to mind here was when you're prototyping, sometimes you have buttons or things that don't necessarily take you to the next screen. They just do something kind of behind the scenes, so they'll make an API call or they'll persist some change to your local storage. Do you just annotate that some way? To say this button does this I think those
3: buttons are always a I think they're always an issue for users, which is why they're an issue when you're prototyping, right because prototyping is just looking at what the user deals with mm-hmm. and if you if you have a button that's just to you know to you know, write to a database or you know what whatever it does, those are always going to be hard buttons for users to remember to use or see the reason for okay so so i think i think that's that's actually one of the nice benefits of prototyping is, is that you find kind of some of these things and you're like oh how am i going to deal with that that thing that i was going to put on the screen because it doesn't really make sense to the user in 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 the long run
1: right so it's a usability red flag yeah all right well if there's nothing else then uh let's go ahead and get into the picks ben what are your picks ben ben sherman <laughs> <laughs>
2: Okay, so I have uh, uh, four quick ones. Uh, the first one is the iPhone Stencil Kit. And uh, this is something you can use if you like the pen and paper type of uh, prototyping. And it will help you draw the exact right uh, you know, back button arrows and everything with the right rounded corner radius and all that stuff. Uh, so it's a physical stencil and you would carry it around with you if, uh, if you liked that sort of thing. The next one is uh, just a fascinating look at how uh, Nevin Mergen from panic software designs applications. Um, He did a play by play. It's not free, but it's, I think it's 12 bucks. It's totally worth it. And he just creates an app from scratch only in Photoshop. And that's just because that's the tool he loves the most. And he's most productive in even in the video. He says, I wouldn't recommend using Photoshop for most people, but it's nice to watch him whip around in it and create an app. And in the end, it looks pretty nice. And, uh, uh, so I'd recommend watching that. And then um, some other things that might be helpful is it's if you're exporting assets in Photoshop and trying to put them on a device, it gets a little bit cumbersome to export them, rename them for Retina and whatever, and then drag them into your project. And Xcode doesn't do a good job of letting you overwrite files. So you first have to delete them and then drag them in. It's really kind of a pain in the ass dance. And uh, so I've been toying around with using uh, Scala Preview and Xscope. Both of them are similar tools. Um, Xscope is much broader in scope. Um, But basically, it will let you take an image on your computer and mirror it on the iPhone so you can see what it it, it will exactly look like. Pixel perfect, you know, the color profile and all that stuff will look just like it would if you were to export it. So it can save you some time. So those are my picks.
1: Nice. Rod, what are your picks? All right. If you like paper
2: prototyping, you can also get uh,
0: pre-printed notepads with iPhone and iPad images on them that you can draw in. One company is, uh, that does that is called UI Stencils. And uh, then another pick I have is uh, an app that I I might be doing some consulting for. It's called Screen Time, which is an app that helps your kids um, help manage the time that they spend watching TV or playing games, etc. And you can keep track of that and then reward them for doing non-screen stuff and things like that. Nice. Pete, what are your picks? Continuing on the theme of paper prototyping, my first pick is this blog post that I discovered while we were recording this podcast about creating an iPhone stamp. So, rather than having to do this laborious driving around uh, or dra- dragging your pencil around your iPhone, you have a little rubber. You make a little rubber stamp, uh, which kind of seems kind of silly, actually, but incredibly hipster at the same time. So, I kind of love the idea of having a rubber stamp that'll. That you can, <laughs> Stamp out your prototype and then sit in the coffee shop with your moleskin. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then the other, the other app that I just found and I like, uh, I've never used this, but it looks kind of cool is, uh, POP prototyping on paper. So the idea for this is you draw your prototypes after hipster stamping them out. And then you take a photo using your iPhone, and then you can kind of link up the screens together. So they're just—it's just kind of photos of the of your paper prototype, but interactive a little bit in that you could kind of click or tap on the, the little button you drew, and it will take you to another screen, presumably. So that seems kind of a cool idea, anyway. My third pick is a um, a podcasting app. So. For ages, I couldn't find a good podcasting app for, for iOS. It's like one of those things where there's too many options. And I asked on Twitter and I was pointed towards an app called Pocket Casts. And I really, really like it. It's really simple. It's really easy to use. It, it basically just gets out of your way and, and does everything that I expect it to do. So I really like it. Pocket Casts. I think it's probably like a, a couple of bucks or something. And my last pick is, uh, um a non-technical pick is a TV show called Spaced which is this amazingly good British kind of sitcom that was uh recorded in the I guess uh very late 90s early 2000s and it's the guy Simon Pegg who's now kind of kind of grown up and doing big things like Star Trek movies and he did the that zombie movie Shaun of the Dead um before they did all that stuff they did this really 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 hilariously good sitcom called spaced it's all about it's got loads of really awesome like kind of geeky sci-fi references and like one of the shows is blatantly like that they're, they're doing Resident evil but kind of like the only way you know that it's resident evil is if you get all of the in jokes so if, if you're a fan of kind of sci-fi and that kind of stuff if, probably if you're a fan of arrested development then you would love uh, spaced and it's probably available on netflix or amazon instant video or you can just buy the dvds they're pretty cheap so that's my last pick
1: Awesome. So I've got a couple of picks. We talked about most of my prototyping tips while we were talking, so um, my picks are not going to be related to that. But one thing that I ran across, we were talking to, I feel bad when I blank on our guest names, but I totally blanked from GitHub. Josh Abernathy. Josh Abernathy, that's right. Um, We were talking about the iOS apps for GitHub, and he was talking about how they're not tremendously helpful. I got an email from somebody uh, who is the developer of iOctocat, which is a, a mm-hmm. app for the iPhone for Git for GitHub, and uh, it manages everything, you know, issues. It gives you your dashboard and everything else on the iPhone, and it is really cool. And so, I'm gonna pick iOctocat this week as my pick. Ben Lockman, what are your picks?
3: I definitely will say Briefs too. I'm 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 really into it right now. Additionally, I would say I've been part of a coworking space here in Ohio, and so I'm gonna pick co-working as a great way to be an indie developer and um you know still be have a um a group of people that you identify with and work with on a daily basis. And I also want to pick Paint Code, which is an awesome app for taking Photoshop bits and pieces and turning them into, um, into core graphics code and Objective-C. So those are my three kind of, uh, work-related ones. And then a, a life-related one is I was recently in Chicago and had the pleasure of visiting Botrust Coffee Roasters, um, which is a micro-roaster in Chicago. And they have absolutely phenomenal coffee that you can order online. So I will recommend Botrust as a great micro roaster.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show. It's been it's been fun.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me.